Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN, taking you till 6, of course, and getting you ready uh, tonight for the Sixers to get back in action against stuff. Going up, Joe Girard. Winning today as well. We're going a little left-handed pitcher. You got juiced up by that? I did. I don't know why I did, but I definitely did. Tony Watson. That would be the equivalent of Dursa watching a minor league hockey game. And he does do that. I love hockey, and he, he'll try and sell me that he does this because of his job. But I know he's watching the Ontario rain off to the side whenever he gets a chance to in the AHL. That's terrible. That is. That's bad work by him. I love Durso, but come on. We're better than that. There used to be an ECHL hockey team here in Atlantic City. Oh, I know about the coast. He would be perfect to go to a game there with one night. Oh, yeah. They got to bring that team back. That'd be nice. Sports Bash is brought to you this hour by Maplat Nissan. The all-new Maplat Nissan is now open on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township next to Home Depot online at matplatnissan.com. He's the host of Spain and Fitz right here on 97.3 ESPN. Jason Fitz set to join us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. As uh, well, you were here last week with us, Fitz, and Carson Wentz was still an eagle. He's still here. So is anybody gaining, losing, getting more leverage, losing leverage, happier, sadder? I don't think there's a lot of leverage to be gained or lost, honestly, as we get closer to it. As long as it gets, if it's going to get done, I think it needs to get done before the draft. You know, that that's the biggest thing. We all know about the uh, the March deadline and the money, and money is always a uh, uh, an issue. But the most important thing to me is the draft. And, I mean, y'all know this sitting in the middle of, the, of this conversation constantly. What I don't understand is if we presume that Carson Wentz is gone from the team, why are we not talking about the fact that they will have possibly the opportunity to draft a quarterback, too? Like, I don't think this is Jalen Hurts or Bust. Uh, I mean, They've got a lot of work to do to figure out what they're going to do at the quarterback position. And there are a couple of guys in Justin Fields and Zach Wilson that people are enamored with that maybe could fall their way down to six. So is the quarterback Harris done spinning even when Carson Wentz leaves? I don't think so. But they got to get it figured out sooner than later so they can figure out what to do with that draft equity at the top. Well, and uh, I've seen mock drafts that had them trade up to three to go get a quarterback. And you wonder, man, you know, you – do all these things that the Eagles did to get Wentz, and here you are back in this situation. It feels like this, you know, the fact that you are back in the quarterback conundrum is a, is one of the, the the saddest things as a sports fan is trying to find that eternal quarterback that you can never get your hands on. Which is why the Houston Texans and what's happening right now in Houston is, I think, one of the most epic meltdowns we've ever seen in all of pro sports because quarterback is the most important position in all of pro sports. And you're absolutely right. I think what makes it even more maddening for Eagles fans is that you've seen the glimmer of goodness from Carson Wentz. Like, this feels like, and you know, I hate this, but one guy that works on our show, Cliff, uh, is a diehard Eagles fan, and I've joked with him before. Like, I never root for this for any fan base, but, man, it feels like this is one of those things where Carson Wentz is going to go somewhere else, get a makeover, suddenly, you know, start dating somebody else and, like, really find himself, get the best version of himself, like, these are all the things in the cards that you didn't think you were going to be dealing with because you've seen some level of greatness from Carson Wentz, or at least really goodness. And uh, and once you've seen it, you believe that you're going to be able to recapture the magic. So it, it's a heartbreak all around. I will tell you this, though. I mean, I, I feel like I've watched more college football than most of the people uh, because of my work around game day and all the shows that I host for college football. There is one quarterback that I would risk anything to get, and that's Trevor Lawrence. You cannot convince me. There aren't serious question marks with the other two that everybody is in love with. And I like Justin Fields a lot. And I know I've talked to a lot of quarterbacks that think that Zach Wilson 
is going to be the it guy. But I'll tell you this, if my beloved Raiders were trading up to take either of those guys, I would not have a good feeling because there's just not true group of concept on either of those guys to know what you're actually getting at quarterback position. And now guess what? You're starting that whole process over of a four or five year period where you got to figure out what you got at quarterback. It's awful. Yeah, I feel the same exact way with those other quarterbacks. And there actually have been some reports about Wentz not wanting to go to Chicago, which can make the Bears even pull out their offer. And it kind of ties perfectly with Draymond Green and what he had to say with that powerful message the other day. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on where we are with these athletes having the power to essentially say, I don't want to go there. I want to go there. J.J. Watts says, release me. He gets released. Like where we are now with the power of these athletes, it's pretty fascinating. Well, and I think that in the NFL, it's it's much tougher. There's going to be small pieces here and there, or small moments where players can do this. It's not like the NBA because rosters are so much bigger and rosters turn over so quickly. Uh, the NBA has so much empowerment. But realistically, you also got to look at what people root for. I mean, this is sort of the great debate. And, and I heard Dominic Foxworth this morning on, on Get Up talking about how he believes someday sports fans will want equity where players have the same sort of power that owners have. I don't. I, I think Dominic's absolutely wrong because at the end of the day, most of us, especially football fans, are fans of a, the logo on the helmet, the fans of the logo on the chest. And sure, I'll absolutely root for Derek Carr as long as he's the Raiders quarterback because I love the Raiders. But if Derek Carr goes and plays for the Colts tomorrow, I'm not following. Tom Brady is the exception, you know, not the rule in the way that fans uh, 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 consume the NFL. So this player empowerment conversation in the in the NBA is really interesting. But in the NFL, I just don't think it's going to happen because realistically, Eagles fans are going to love whoever's playing for Philly in that moment. And the minute they take a they, they get traded or they leave and they go play for one of the rivals, they're going to hate them. Like that's part of what being an NFL fan is all about. Yeah, it's weird because I feel like and I kind of agree with you to the, to most in most aspects here. But I feel like the younger generation is kind of more like. Steph Curry's the guy. I'm a Warriors fan. Um, well, you know, like when the Sixers were really bad here, you know, for the process years, a lot of younger guys you saw Warriors jerseys all over the place. You know, you know they're starting to get better, so it's cool to have a Simmons or an Embiid. But like it, I, it may depend. Like the younger kids, I feel like have a different connection with their sports teams than maybe we did. Well, they do, especially in the NBA culture, and I'll tell you. You know, when I was hosting Sports Center on Snapchat, which is still something that I, I love, I love that entire show. The only reason I'm not a part of it now is my schedule just doesn't allow it to be. But Sports Center on Snapchat was a really interesting case study to me because uh, the night that Alex Smith got traded uh, to the Washington football team, I was on the radio that night. And, uh, you know, I remember we did the whole show about Alex Smith. We blew everything up. It happened while we were on air. So I walked two buildings over on the ESPN campus and I sit down with sports center on Snapchat and I say, guys, I got pages of info on this Alex Smith stuff. And our producer that night says, yeah, our audience doesn't care. And I was alarmed. I was shook. I, what do you mean? So we did sports center on Snapchat that night and we led with the Lonzo Paul highlight because that was the hot NBA topic in the moment. And the next day I came in and said, I want to see the numbers, you know, cause we can get those in those digital platforms. I wanted to see the numbers right away. And man, they were right. The minute we got to the NFL, nobody cared. We have to understand that the young fan, particularly the young NBA fan, is a fan of the player more than they're a fan. Like, there are entire groups of people that are LeBron's fans or haters. No matter what team he plays for, they will root for or against that team. And, you know, Philly is seeing it now. Like, if we want to have some debate about whether or not Simmons and Embiid should be split up, 
there's a whole faction of fans that will follow whichever their favorite player is wherever they go. So young fans in Snapchat, I use as the example because the target audience for that metric show is 13 to 25. Yeah. So 13 to 25 year old kids, man, they're all in on player empowerment. I just don't know if that translates the same though to other sports. I think that's an NBA issue and a young issue. I just don't know if we're going to see that translate in a way where suddenly you know, fans are going to like how many Eagles fans are going to follow Carson Wentz to the Bears if that's where he ends up. Yeah, that, that's a, a very interesting conversation. Now, Sal Powell, I think, was on with us and brought this up on the national platforms as well and mentioned, you know, th- that Tom Brady is kind of, you know, starting this like where this um, uh, these uh, super teams where he, he went to Tampa and then brought Antonio Brown and brought uh, Fournette and you know, do you think that's going to be something we see more of in the NFL where Deshaun Watson says, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go there and I'm going to bring this guy and that guy with me. Uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to think so because, you know, it gives every fan base some hope that you sign one guy, you turn it around. But the, the economics, I, I feel like the, the Bucks found the, like lightning in a bottle, right? Like they find the generational quarterback that, again, comes from a fan base that, let's be real, I, I don't want to hate on. Patriots fans, but I went to a Patriots game at Old Foxborough pre Tom Brady, and let's not pretend that that was some rabid fan base in the you know late '90s, early 2000s. Like that was just a trash fan base around an awful franchise, right? So you know, then you've got Tom Brady who sort of re-energizes everybody, gets this whole new generation of sports fans. They follow him somewhere, and there happened to be a group of players that wanted to take one-year deals to play with him. I think there could be, I mean, if Deshaun Watson goes somewhere, if you're a wide receiver that wants to, to sort of rehab your image, man, you want to go play with somebody like Deshaun Watson. I just don't know that there can be a ton of that, but I mean, certainly it worked with Brady, at, you know, but at the same time, are we going to ignore all the other times we've looked? I mean, Philly, remember the, the super, the dream team that was built around the Eagles years ago. Like we, I don't want to forget all the times that the dream team concept has failed just because it worked once with arguably the greatest player in all of sports of all time. Yeah, I know uh, that Dream Team was uh, – well, that was also a weird situation because of the lockout. But, yeah, it did not really yeah, go very all fair. The- Very fair, yeah. Now, this being said, there was a pandemic so that nobody did any face-to-face or training camps. There were no training camps this year uh, with the NFL as well. Let me ask you this. This Wentz thing, obviously here, but what is the biggest NFL story right now for you? I mean, uh, to be honest, it's all about the quarterbacks. Like we actually had a, uh, we have meetings all the time for our show where we'll sit there and say over the next two months, what do we really want to be putting effort and energy and resources into? And uh, the the top answer was quarterback carousel. There is a real anticipation that the movement at quarterback is going to be historic this year. And I, I mean, I think that that's realistic. I, I and we're all sort of saying, I, I love these reports that say the Texans aren't going to trade Deshaun Watson. Well, they may not want to. But realistically, I, you know, I want to be able to dunk. I, what we want, what we can are two <laughs> different things. I mean, you know, Deshaun Watson is the rare example of a very young, very good, and also very wealthy quarterback that is looking around saying, I don't want to be here. And so, you know, that game of chicken and how it plays out is going to impact this entire carousel. So you're going to end up with a bunch of starters moving all over the place, depending on where Deshaun ends up. And, it, I mean, we can see the balance of power in the NFL changed drastically and the way that we feel about certain franchises changed drastically by the NFL draft, just because everybody's trying to reinvent what they're going to be next year. So I think quarterback movement, which Carson Wentz is a part of 
is not only the biggest story in, in football, but the biggest sport story in all of sports between now and April. Do you think that Sam Darnold has more value in the trade market than Wentz? Wentz's AAV, it's it's high, but it's starting quarterback numbers. Darnold, people will look at the cheap deal that he's on right now, but he's eventually going to get paid. And if he is going to be your starting quarterback, it might not be as high as Wentz's, but you're going to have to significantly pay him. I just wonder, where does Sam Darnold fit in this market that you're speaking of compared to Wentz? Yeah, I think his market's lower because of the contract. Even though he's cheaper now, you don't have a lot of time to get proof of concepts on him before you're either going to have to pick up the option or you're going to have to franchise him eventually, which is just a gross thing to say around Sam Darnold, right? So, you know, the contract is actually a little bit of a hindrance. And Sam is very similar with the Jets to who he was, in, in my mind, uh, at USC. You know, he's a quarterback that has these brilliant moments and then a quarterback that throws too many picks on easy throws that shouldn't happen. I, I mean... I don't know why we're stunned with the lack of development from Sam Darnold. I, I thought he was kind of a reach in the moment and hasn't turned out to get drastically better. So there's a big market because every coach has the ego to think that they can fix whatever quarterback has talent. And Sam definitely has talent, but I think his market's below Wentz because, again, proof concept is everything. You know, And that's why that's part of the reason that the rumor mill has run so hard around Derek Carr over the last week. We talked a bunch about Carr on ESPN because we've seen a high level of play from him. And so somebody that you've seen have real success at the NFL level is going to get more uh, more trade value in return because everybody believes they can replicate it. Uh, he's Jason Fitz. Spain and Fitz airs tonight at 7 on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Always good, fun, fast conversation. And, of course, uh, we will catch up with him next week. And maybe by then Carson Wentz will be gone. Maybe not. We shall see. Jay Fitz, appreciate it, man. Either way, we'll be talking about it. I'm sure y'all have a great week. Absolutely. As he knows, uh, the quarterback position is he's right. That's the biggest story. It might not just be Wentz. It's all these quarterbacks, bro. It's all these quarterbacks that are available, like 18 to 20 different guys that you can select from. So the Eagles are in a very swampy end of the pool here trying to move a quarterback in this particular offseason. If they tried to do it in another offseason, they might fetch a much bigger price. That's very true. It's unfortunate we're here right now. That's for damn sure. How did it get here? I don't know. Sports Bash is brought to you <laughs> by Amerisave Mortgage. Lower mortgage rates means more savings. Find out more at Amerisave.com. I'm Mike Hill. He's Hunter Brody. This is the Sports Bash. You can watch the show live on our website, 973ESPN.com. How about this text message? Do Andre Dillard had such a big fan. Do not trade Dillard. Let him compete for the job. His footwork and technique are borderline elite. You let it shake out in camp. I saw an NFL.com profile him had him as um, listed him as a year one quality starter draft projection first round. Yeah, and then we saw a Bleacher Report one that had him high second. So he was up there. I mean, it's not as if. You know, he was – I was just curious on where he kind of fell there. I, w I would like to see where he was on the draft board because if you do try and trade him, will those teams go back to their draft board on that year and see where Andre Dillard was and then kind of push forward with that type of analysis on it? Yeah, that's why he may have a little bit of value, but I don't think you're going to be excited by what you get. Right. But I just don't think people know enough. Like, that guy there, do not trade Dillard, elite footwork. He sounds like a guy who has dunked a little deeper. Maybe it's Jason Peters. T t texting in? Yeah. That'd be cool. All right, when we come back, it's inside the Sixers. Paul Hudrick will join us here as the Sixers get ready to take on the Rockets. But with that, what are they lacking? We'll get into it. And great story right now. 
at 973ESPN.com from Paul on Ben Simmons' evolution. Hi, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Paul Hudrick going to talk a little Sixers. Inside the Sixers with Paul. He's the host of the Coming In for a Landing podcast. You can read more from him at 97.3 ESPN.com. And the Sixers are finally back in action. It seems like it's been a little while. They take on the Houston Rockets tonight. Back home in Philly. 7.30 tonight on 97.3 ESPN. So the 7.30 little later start. And, of course, Paul Hudrick joins us now for a little inside the Sixers as we take a closer look at this team. Coming off a one-and-three road trip, Paul, and I want to get your take on, did something happen on that road trip that worries you after watching them lose three in a row? Uh, I, I would just say that um, they're definitely their flaws were exposed uh, when, you, when you're talking about the bench and when you're talking about the lack, uh, the, the lack of quantity of three-pointers, not necessarily um, – the, the degree to which they're hitting them, but the fact that they're just not taking that many. Uh, those are the two things that are most troubling to me that I saw from the road trip. Uh, the one and three record, I mean, listen, they played four really good teams, um, including literally the best team in the NBA right now, the hottest team in the NBA right now. Uh, one of the hottest in the Suns who, you know, last night they blew a 24 point lead to Brooklyn, but the Suns had been on fire before that. I mean, they, they, they played really good teams. So the one and three, of course, you would have liked to see them do better. If they would have gone two and two, I would have been actually really impressed. And I think the Sixers would have been pretty happy with that. Uh, as it stands, one and three, yeah, you're obviously a little disappointed by that. But yeah, Mike, if anything, the biggest thing was just that those those two weaknesses really stood out in all three losses. Yeah, so you know, you talk about the weakness, obviously, the bench there. But is there any concern from you? Or is it just, hey, that's a style thing with the West Coast? The lack of three-point attempts makes – they're at like 28th in the league in attempts. Uh, you're seeing the Utah team, they're number one. Uh, but you see what happens when you play that style. It seems that that's not a good style for them. Well, it's simple math, right? Uh, three is more than two. Uh, so, And Tobias Harris even acknowledged that the other night. He said, you know, that's – it's it's we can't keep getting – it's not – and listen, like they could be near the bottom of the league and still be really good. I think the Lakers are, are like 26th or something like that in the league. So you don't have to be U the Utah Jazz and fire up the most in the NBA to win every game. But you need to hit a certain level just because that's the way the game has trended. Um, you know, teams like Portland, teams like Utah, teams like Phoenix, they're going to take a lot. And you have to be able to keep up with that. Um, and it, it's... It's it's an uh, it's a, almost like a paradox with Ben Simmons. I, I'm sure we're going to get to him, but like the idea that he's scoring more, but he also assists on more three pointers than any you know than pretty much anybody in the NBA. So it's kind of like a delicate balance. I think almost he has to work out. And then the fact that I just think sometimes guy like a guy like Miles who really struggled on the road trip, uh, you know, he's not it, normally he has the most uh, and forgive me, but like the most irrational confidence of any player I've ever seen. And even he's kind of lost that because he's been a little cold. So I just – I think it's a, it's a matter of – and in the second half, I think you saw that against Utah. They just got to fire them. Um, when the guys can't hesitate, when they have a, a when they have any type of daylight, the guys who can shoot need to just do it. Um, so I think it's it, it's a it's a mix of a lot of things. But, yeah, it, it's a concern, Mike. I, I think, you know, like I said, I, I don't think they need to be in the top five in the league in attempts, but they can't take – you know, they can't do what they did on the West Coast trip. They can't take, like, less than less than 25 a game. You can't do that and win every night in the NBA. When Brett Brown was here and the Sixers moved on, there was a ton of talk about the organization's use of analytics. You know, you had Brett Brown jacking up a lot of threes, maybe not the greatest shooting team, but that frustrated a lot of people. Maybe you don't have this information, but I'm just curious if you've heard anything about 
you know, the philosophy changed when it does come to these analytics and if that ties together with the lack of threes that we're seeing. It's an interesting point, bros. I don't, I don't really have it. I don't have any kind of analytical stats for you, but I can tell you that when Doc Rivers first got here, he was very adamant about the fact that he does not care where the points come from as long as the points come. Um, so, and, and I think early on in the season, you know, they, they weren't, again, they weren't one of the top teams in the league, but they were taking a pretty healthy amount. Um, and now that's just, it just seems to be trending the wrong direction. Uh, part of that I think was, you know, Seth Curry was playing really, really well to start the season. He's obviously very much cooled off since he returned. Uh, Danny Green hasn't shot the ball at a high level. And as I mentioned, Corkmoss has really struggled for it. So I think the guys that they have been counting on to make those shots are struggling. And I think it's a confidence issue with some of those guys that maybe they're not firing as much and they see Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons dominating. So they want to get them the ball, which is the right thing to do. But at the same time to open up the space for those two, you have to make outside shots. And so, yeah, I, I, I do think there is a, somewhat of a philosophical change going from Brett Brown to Doc Rivers. Although last year they were kind of in the bottom of the league because of the, I thought that was more due to the roster construction as far as attempts. But yeah, I, I mean, and then when Doc Rivers was asked about it and he said, you know, it, it kind of ebbs and flows as season goes on, but this is a trend now. I mean, this is like four or five games and it's, it's trended downward with less and less attempts as you've gone on here. So that trend's got to reverse at some point. And they have to just start it's just flat out. They have to start taking more, especially, you know, guys who are supposed to be taking them need to just need to just fire away. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about um, they they the roster construction last year. Brett wanted them to take a lot of threes. You know, that was part of his you know message. And then people would say, why do you want to take all these threes? You're you have a terrible three point shooting team, whereas this team isn't shooting as much. But the perception is that the three point shooting is better um, is this a good three-point shooting team? They have guys who are capable. I mean, there's there's no questioning that. Again, when you look at Seth Curry, who is, you know, the active leader in three-point percentage, when you look at Danny Green, who, you know, he does run hot and cold, but he we haven't seen nearly enough of the hot version. We've seen a lot more of the cold. Uh, you know, Quark Maz, you know, Shake Milton, even when he has played, his three-point percentage is down. I mean, here's a guy who was over 40% last year. He's hovering around, I think, like 34% on the season. So, you know, you'd like to see him get going and get a little hotter. Uh, Matisse Thibel is a guy who, you know, yeah, he's not a prolific three-point shooter, but he's, you know, again, last year he hit like 35%, which is an okay number. He's not even near that right now. So I think it's, you know, and then Mike Scott's been out. Mike Scott's a guy who can get hot and hit some shots. So I think it's just a matter of, again, the guys who are supposed to be here, the guys who were brought here to do that, to space the floor and hit threes, need to do it. Uh, I think that's the issue. I don't think it's that they don't have the roster to do it. Of course, you're, you know, your two best players clearly are you know inside players. When you talk about Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, they want to get to the rim, and that's where they want to score. But that's why you acquired other players that can hit threes so that you're opening it up for them. So I think they have the roster to do that, to take more and to make more. Now, could they use another another guy or two to make more. Absolutely. I think Daryl Morey's probably already, you know, looking for more players that fit that. But I do think as their roster is constructed, they have guys that are capable of making and taking more threes. How do you view the pick and roll defense now that we have 28 games under our belt? It's been up and down. Um, I would say it's improved from, from, from seasons past uh, for sure. When you look at what they've kind of done with Dan Burke has kind of instilled with Joel Embiid not playing as much as that of that drop coverage where he kind of just goes right back to the rim and playing up more and kind of showing on guards. Uh, I thought 
the the most effective you've seen it was against Dame Lillard in the second half of that Portland game. I think Dame was like two or thirteen in the second half, didn't hit a three because they were so aggressively trapping him, and Joel Embiid was showing so hard. So I think you know it's mixed results um, sometimes too. I mean, I think people don't realize. You know, like the other night when Devin Booker got, I mean, the guy was hitting shots from Yuma and like people are getting upset with Ben Simmons. It's like sometimes a guy just gets hot. Uh, you saw it last night with Dame Lillard. Uh, if anyone watched that game against Oklahoma City, Dame Lillard hit two shots where uh, where Lou Dort played perfect defense. Like you could not have done anything better than what Lou Dort did against him. And Dame Lillard just buries two step back threes from like 40 feet away. Sometimes guys just make shots because guys are really good. And I think maybe it's because the Sixers haven't had enough guys that do that. So maybe Sixers fans don't realize that that's a thing that happens for other teams. But yeah, I, I think overall their pick and roll defense better than in years past. But sometimes you just got to tip your hat to the other guy when he's hot and he's hitting shots. Uh, you wrote a piece at 97.3 ESPN.com. I don't want to say it's controversial, but people are, you know, uh, looking at it and saying the guy's 24 years old. What do you mean he's evolving? You wrote about Ben Simmons and his offense and enjoy the ride while he's evolving. What what are we seeing here that you say is evolving about him? Some would say he's still not shooting. He's still not outside the paint. Do that day that made him decide today's the day that I feel like doing this. And why can't he or won't he do that more? I think it was like a today. If you looked at his, you know, I think seven previous games, his scoring numbers had gone up. Uh, so it's not like this was out of nowhere. I mean, it was trending in that direction. I mean, and I just think it's it's not like 24 years old is still really young. I mean, I get like, you know, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, like those guys came believable. Sometimes it takes guys more time to figure things out. And I think Ben Simmons just fits into that category. It's taken him like, let's look at it like this. The defensive side of the game, he already has that figured out. How many guys have that figured out at 24? Probably not that many. He already had that side figured out. Now he's learning the offensive side and how to score and how to be more effective on that end. And he's learning, um, you know, just, just that sometimes like I, I, he's his, to me, at least the way he looks at the game. And he said this, um, Melton brand actually said this last year. He always wants to find the high percentage play. And that's why often he'll pass up a wide open three for himself to try to get a better shooter, a wide open three. I think now he's realizing, okay, sometimes the highest percentage play is me going to the rim and taking a guy one-on-one -on -one and trying to finish. And I think he's learning, you know, how to do that. He's getting comfortable in certain spots on the floor. You're seeing him finish with his right hand a little more, you know, taking that little hook shot that I think he feels really comfortable with. And, and then also as a screener and a roller, I thought that's where he was really effective against Utah too. He's setting better screens. He's rolling to the basket better. He's understanding. And it's, it's also like him just, I think he's reading things better as a scorer. Um, whereas before, maybe he was more looking to attack defenses, you know, maybe a whole, a more holistic approach looking to get, you know, other guys involved, but I think now he's been looking at it more as I'm going to get to the rim and I'm going to try to score. And I think he admitted to that. He said that, you know, it's a change in mentality. So I think when I say evolution, I mean, I think he's just seeing things better. And I think, you know, the cliche term is the game is slowing down for him. And I think that's what's happening on the offensive end. He's starting to see the holes. He's starting to see the cracks and where he can attack. And I think that's the evolution. I get people want him to shoot more, but I 
my theory is, you know, he again, he doesn't see that as a high percentage play, and that's why he's not shooting from the outside. I'll speak for the insanely frustrated crowd. This is where I'm, I'm, I'm bothered. He, he takes it as disrespectful when Rudy Gobert's on him. Yet when there's a smaller guard that he should literally laugh in the face of that individual one-on-one, he doesn't take it with that same intensity because he doesn't view that the same way. It's like when he sees LeBron, he gets up and he balls out, which is great. I want him to play great against these top-tier opponents. But I need that mentality. Maybe this is what he's working on. He was pretty vocal about it after last game of adapting in that area. But that should be when Grayson Allen's on you. That should be when anybody else is on you that might not have that name, LeBron or Rudy Gobert. But you should be able to dominate that way more than he does. Well, I, and bros, you you already mentioned it. He he has changed his mentality over the last whatever six seven games. He's averaging over twenty points a game. He's clearly looking to score more. And you know, I've told you guys before. I really felt like it's not to make excuses. It's just the reality. He had a knee injury. He played first of all for one stretch. He played the best best basketball of his career. Um, uh, oh, for like a twenty game stretch last season where he hit his previous career high thirty four points twice in that stretch. So clearly. That was, the, you know, he was playing well there. Then he hurts his knee. He has a, he, the NBA in general has a shortened offseason. His offseason is even more short because he's recovering from knee surgery. He's got a new coach. He's got a new system. It took him some time to adjust and feel good. And now we're at a play. And, you know, he missed two games with knee tightness because his knee was bothering him again. Now we're seeing, I think, him being healthy, understanding what Doc Rivers wants out of him, understanding the defense. And I, I just think station of all that happening and he uh, you know it's i get we all want to react to every single game but this is you know it takes guys time and it takes like uh, the like you'll say grace now and yeah that memphis game he was bad in that game there's no two ways about that memphis team and he was not good in that game i you're not gonna get but i think what you're seeing is a change in mindset and i think that's the evolution and i think that's what i was talking about in the article it's just that he is, you know, the mindset has changed. The way he's seeing the floor has changed. And I think that is what's leading to this higher scoring output. And yeah, I'm very curious to see, will he keep this up when Joel Embiid is on the floor and when the games get tougher and when defenses play him differently? We'll see what happens. But to me, this is an evolution. And, and I think, like I said, I think Sixers fans should enjoy the fact that he's evolving into this. Uh, Paul Hudrick, our Sixers insider from 97.3 ESPN.com, uh, host of the Coming In for a Landing podcast. So when you watch the way that you talk, you know, people were like, see how they defended him late. It was four on five, the inbounder. They let him throw the ball in because they don't, you know, even if he's this version of Ben Simmons, a more aggressive guy, I don't think he's going to score 42. But do you still look at it as they're four on five in certain aspects late in games? And can they get past that? I don't necessarily look at it like that because I think there's been late game moments. Like I, I, I'll go back to the actually all the way back to the opener against Washington, where there was a play. You know, Seth Curry and Joel Embiid were killing um, the the Wizards with their with the two man game, and then at one point Ben Simmons in the dunker spot, Seth Curry found him wide open, and he finished with a dunk and sealed the game. So I think there are ways that he can affect the game still, even though maybe yeah, towards like down the stretch. Maybe teams, you know, are going to give him a lot of space. They're going to play him differently. But I think there are ways to use him. Now, um, I do question whether as an inbounder that's effective. I get he's the best passer. He's got the best vision on the team. But I do question whether it's the right strategy to use him as an inbounder because he's not, like, again, teams are not viewing it as he's going to get that ball back and and take a shot. 
And I also think he's a really uh, one thing he's again, it's not the sexiest thing, but he has really become an excellent screener and roller. And that has opened things up for everybody offensively. So I think that's maybe the area I would look to exploit him more as opposed to, you know, yeah, as a late game inbounder, I don't love that. But I do think there are ways you can utilize him late in games where he can be effective and he can make a difference down the stretch offensively. Okay. Uh, I don't know that you get a chance to ask multiple questions or whatever. If this, you know, if the, if this were to come up to Ben, does he think that he is becoming a more confident free throw shooter? Because that could change a lot of these things that if he does this and gets the line, he's shooting 74%, I think, in the month of February. It's only like six games. But does he personally feel more com confident there? Yeah, it's funny. I actually asked him about this. I can't remember the game now for the life of me, but there was a game where he hit a couple of big free throws. What he did in the opener against Washington, but not when you asked him this question. That's amazing. I know. It's listen. It's very selective. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, there was a game where he you know hit a bunch of free throws to kind of help them close out a game. And I specifically asked him, like you know, how big of a part of that has been? Because I know Sam Cassell has taken a really close you know a really close approach with him when you're at the games and you see Ben Simmons warm up. Sam Cassell is on his hip. Um, he's taking free throws. He's taking mid-range shots. He's taking threes. And it's funny because what he'll do is he'll go to a spot on the floor, take some shots. Then he'll go to the free throw line, go to another spot on the floor, then go back to the free throw line. So clearly the, the free throws have been a really big point of emphasis for him. Um, he had, And when I asked him about this, what he said, he's like, it's, it's huge. That development of him hitting free throws is big because that I think gives him the confidence to drive to the lane and either he's going to make it or he's going to get fouled. And if he gets to the line and he shoots whatever, you know, 74%, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty decent percentage. So if he can keep that confidence going, what was he, like 12 or 13 against Utah. So if he can keep that confidence and keep that level up where he's shooting a high rate at the free throw line, I absolutely think that, you know, transcends the other parts of his game that makes him more confident to go to the basket. And, you know, in a late game situation, if they put him on the line, he's going to feel like he's going to make them. Uh, what is your take on, you know, the rumors about guys like George Hill, right, um, as opposed to hearing maybe that stretch four being at the top of the list. Or or is it? I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe that is. But the fact that uh, veteran point guards have been kind of popping out now. For me, I've before the season even started, I still thought they were a shot creator away, a guy who can create offense for himself and others away from being kind of like, you know, an elite level. Like, listen, I'm not saying George Hill or DeLon Wright is going to put you over the top, but you've seen what the bench has done and how stagnant that offense has looked. But if you throw a DeLon Wright out there or a George Hill out there who are, you know, a little bit more veteran who can run an offense, who can run and pick and roll, who are crafty. Um, George Hill has shot the ball a little bit more effectively over the course of his career than DeLon Wright has, but DeLon Wright's not a slouch either. He shoots about league average from three. So he's capable. Um, I just think that could elevate the bench to such a high degree. I think it could take pressure off of shake Milton because Shake Milton then doesn't have to run the offense. He can just look to score and attack, and I think that could make him a better player. Uh, so for me, and then, you know, you think about it, it's going to be a shortened bench, right? When the playoffs start, how many guys are you going to play? Uh, maybe nine. Uh, and, and so in that regard, I don't think a stretch four is necessarily a priority because you have Tobias Harris and you have Ben Simmons who both can play the four. Um, and if a team goes small and you, you put Ben Simmons at the five and you go small at the four. So I think there are ways to get around it. Listen, if they could get both, that would be ideal. But if it's one or the other, I would prefer the point guard. I would prefer a guy who can run the offense, get the team in their sets, and then create offense for himself and others. All right. Uh, would you trade Tobias Harris for Blake Griffin? 
<laughs> no. Good. All right. We're <laughs> making sure that this, you know, for credibility's sake. <laughs> yeah, your job was on the line there. You passed. Yeah, it, I would have. I would have fired. Yeah, you should have fired anyone who would have said yes to that. Um, oh, yeah, but listen, if Blake Griffin actually, if he gets. It seems to me like a buyout is going to be what happens because that contract is the worst contract in the NBA. If he's bought out, if he wants to come here and be a backup four slash stretch five, I'd be I'd consider it. Um, I don't know what opportunities he's going to have. I don't know if a team's going to try to offer him to start. Clearly not the guy he once was, but you know he's still he can you know, he could score in the post. He can rebound. He can set good screens. He's big. He he's physical. Two years ago with Detroit, he was phenomenal. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he had 50, yeah. Yeah, he shot 36% from three that year. And I was like, man, this guy's game has evolved big time from being just Lob City Dunker. But I, there's no way. Now, the only thing I said yesterday to Broads, and get your take on this, Paul, is if Maury decides that contract only has two years and Harris just has, what, three or four, that gets me out of this huge commitment faster. No. Nah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, first of all, I mean, Tobias Harris, I think, is playing better than any of us expected coming into the season. There's I think he's more freedom faster. No, I, I get it. Um, and if there was a player that I, I just think Blake Griffin, that contract is just so bad as far as I just think he's so diminished as a yeah. player. And listen, I think he could still be a useful, like, I almost, it's like kind of like Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I see it as similar to that, where Carmelo Anthony really had to eat some big time humble pie. He had, a, you know, he sat out for basically a year until Portland offered him a shot. And then the only way he got back in was accepting, okay, I can be a bench player. I can help this team out as a supplemental scorer. If Blake Griffin is willing to do that, if he's willing to be a guy who can come off the bench, who can give you, you know, again, some post scoring off the bench, maybe stretch the floor and hit a three every once in a while, play some tough defense, commit some hard professional fouls every once in a while. If he's willing to be that guy, I'd absolutely take a flyer on him if he gets bought out. But yeah. if he's not, if he wants a starring role, a starting role, then no, I'm not interested at all. Uh, Paul Hudrick at Paul Hudrick is the uh, Twitter address where you can uh, heckle him if he thought <laughs> that you should make a trade of Blake Griffin for Tobias Harris. But thankfully, <laughs> he did not. You can read more at 973ESPN.com and his podcast. Of course, he's the host of the Coming In for a Landing podcast. He'll be back on Friday for Inside the Sixers. Thanks, man. You got him, Mike. Uh, he, like all guys, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. He's fantastic. Great to have him uh, with us here on Inside the Sixers. And if you are missing out his writing at 973ESPN.com, you are really missing uh, some really good Sixers insight. That story on Ben Simmons was very uh, insightful, had a lot of great analysis, so check that out. What's going on, everybody? This is the Sports Bash. You can watch us live on our website, 973ESPN.com. And uh, just a little different experience. You can see the show. You can see the guests, most of them anyway. Just like Paul Hudrick right there. He was live on the video screen. Now, Broads, yesterday we had the conversation about the Chick-fil-A. That is correct. And I brought it home to my girlfriend, and she said number two was the only answer. It's just not reality. So with that, I will ask you this. Wawa. Ooh. is incorporating a burger to their menu. I saw that. And pizza, if I saw that correctly. They used to have pizza. Oh, did? Okay, I don't even remember They got the rid of the pizza, but I guess they're bringing it back. I guess it I was saw like a, a sign. little guy. Are you going to Wawa? Are you going burger? No, I would not go burger, but I'm not anti. It just, there's so many good options that I don't think burger would All fall right, high so on my list. So when you go to Wawa, yeah. do you have a go-to? I do. It's a, it's a recent new go-to that I'm kind wow. of obsessed with right now. 
All right. I'm interested. I'm interested in everybody's out there. What's your yesterday was this could be like a daily theme. What's your go to at this place? Right. What is your go to at Wawa? Text in 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973, or hit us up if you're watching on the stream. What is your go-to at Wawa? I'm interested because I don't have a go-to. Oh. This is like getting recommended a new movie. <laughs> Except it's I have Wawa. a couple things. Now, I used to live right around the corner from Wawa. I haven't been to the Wawa quite as frequently because I don't live near one as much anymore. That was part of my things of the list of when we were purchasing a house. There needs to be a reasonable Wawa for me to go I mean, grab my coffee. close enough to me, but not where I'm there so often. Yeah, I have to be. I but I don't remember the last time I ordered like a food item at wow. Wawa. Okay. All right. What is your go-to order when you go to Wawa? Back with more Sports Bash Live headlines. It- All right, 351 Sports Bash. We have a lot of people who uh, have a go-to order at Wawa. Well, that's because of how much of a frequent place people probably stop there. It's so convenient. Right, Chick-fil-A, though. You ever go, okay, like, you ever go to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru? Yeah, it's the only time I really go through it. It's so long. It's like... Well, uh, the line's long, but it moves quicker than you think. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like the... They are the most efficient place of all time. I know. I said, I agree. If Chick-fil-A ran the country, everybody would have been vaccinated by now. We would be done by now. It would be over. They would have had it distributed, made, and we would be in a line and in and out in a day. This thing would have been done in one day. You ever think, though, when you watch these people with their facial expression say, my pleasure, it's like, you're full of it. You're such a liar. You don't think they're being truthful? You're having a bad day. I could see it in your eyes. But you have to do this. But I almost respect that more out of you. Wait, you don't think the Chick-fil-A people are being truthful? I've been there before on a Saturday. Maybe someone's a little hungover, had too much to do last night. Here's probably at the Chick-fil-A party. Nope. After hour party. Genuine people. You think that there's never been a a face put on by any of these workers? No. All right. God bless Chick-fil-A. Those people are genuine. I'm telling you. The managers are. Oh, the managers have to be. They have their nice name tag. You could tell that's the manager. We all wear a name tag. You're right. But you can tell you can always point out the manager. And I'm telling you, if you said, look, we have the new vaccine, we need help distributing this thing, you'd call Chick-fil-A and that baby <laughs> would be out. It's funny because it be you're not wrong. To everybody. They would have got it finished by now. You're you're not wrong. It's hilarious. No. So you wait in the Chick-fil-A line, like the one that there's the new one over there on Fire Road by where the Walmart is. It's all Fire Road where the Walmart is. Like every once in a while, when I leave here, I might stop there, and I'll be like, "Oh my god, this line! It's like out by, and it's like, I mean, here's the thing: it goes like if you're watching on the video, it will be like here, 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 all the way out through here, all the way back out, and, and like to here." And I have no hesitation of getting in that line. Any other joint, you're not getting in that line. I know. You're right. If you see any line like that in any other place, it's no way in hell am I stopping here. But it's there. It's like, yeah, I'll be done in about uh, three minutes. We'll be good. Yeah, exactly. I get in that line and be like, "Mm, I I have no doubt that that thing is going to be boop, 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 boop. And it's like double line. And sure enough, when I come up there, they're like, Mike, how are you? Yeah. Great day. Yeah. Well, even if Pete Thompson's trying to do a radio hit while ordering, they still find a way to get it out quickly. That's right. You could do anything in that line. So the go-to order at Wawa is what? Okay. So I I found this recently, and now I am 
amazed with it so much that I can't do anything but. It's the chicken bacon ranch quesadilla. Oh, it's so I that I've good. Ever a quesadilla from oh, it's so good. The problem is that it's a it's a decent sized wrap that they cut in threes, but three is not enough. But if I order two, six is too many. So I'm trying to find this balance of like maybe I get something on the side with it. But the last time I bought two and I was stuffed. Now Lucas says the new barbecue brisket sandwich. It's the bee's knees. Oh yeah? No, I haven't gone that way yet. I haven't tried that either. The barbecue brisket at Wawa. Well, Wawa, see, the thing is, they have more options, but I think the quality has went down significantly since, like, the 2000s. Now, PJ in Long Beach Island says this. This is interesting. You ready? Yeah. The go-to at Wawa is Italian sub, extra mayo, tomato, lettuce, onion, pickles, salt, pepper, oregano, with a side of extra pickles, plus a Mountain Dew Code Red or Red Bull. Wow, he went full throttle. I'm iffy on the drinks there with the Red Bull and all. I was okay with all of it until the extra pickles. I would throw I throw sour cream and cheddar chips into my hoagie. You're not a hoagie. You don't even call it a hoagie. Tim from Millville says my go-to order at Wawa is, I don't know what you're talking about, is a bunch of Dutch masters and a lighter, just being honest. Okay. Well, he's a dank burrito then. Yeah, I'm normally like somebody didn't give me a. I usually get the uh, Philly blunts. Oh yeah, you ever get that guy who just goes right to the counter and goes, "Hey, can I?" Like yeah. you know anybody who's doing that for any reason, other than one no, reason? You're, no, you're smoking weed, right? That's what you're doing. Hey, it's Andrew. I go to Wawa every day for lunch. My go-to is usually crispy chicken bit salad or the buffalo chicken salad. They do have nice salads there. No, they do. They have the freshly made ones. Oh, they're new? Oh, well, I don't know if they're new, but they're freshly made ones. They're amazing. Dan from EHC says his go-to item at Wawa is the pretty girl that works there. 